Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to A Sweet Sunrise Podcast. I'm sorry for skipping out on you all last week. I know I only have a few listeners, but I like to try and keep my episodes regular. If you're turning in for the first time, I'm sorry for being a little out of it, but welcome to my small podcast where I mostly rant to my friends about what I've been reading lately. I hope you enjoy. All right. So last week was just crazy with travel prep, and I wanted to make sure I gave myself time to finish this week's pick without being rushed. Uh, I really did not want to rush like a read like that. It was sizable, too. It was like about 400, a little over 400 pages, I think. So I wanted to give myself time to finish it. Uh, that being said, this will probably be a shorter episode since I'm exhausted from traveling, and there is a Stanley Cup playoff game in less than an hour, so gotta be ready for that. Um, but I'm really excited to talk about the book of the week this week because it was such a good read. This last week has been really fun. I flew solo at work for a couple days, which is kind of tough because one of them was a Tuesday, which is the busy day at the office, but I made it through and on Thursday morning, I got to fly to Michigan to see my moms with Dusty and Ken's. Our flight took off at 6am, so we had to be up at 3.30am and it was a really long night. (laughs) But I was so happy to land and see my mom. On Friday, Victoria took us on a Michigan State facilities tour and we got to see a bunch of campus. It was so cool and campus was so beautiful to see in the spring. They have these really fragrant, beautiful white flowers everywhere, like white flower trees. I don't know what they're called, but I love them. The athletic facilities were so cool to see. My favorite was the hockey stadium, of course. But the Breslin Center was ridiculously impressive, too. We even saw Coach Izzo's, like, fancy, souped-up golf court, just like, golf cart, just, like, pulled up onto the grass. Like, he absolutely owns the place, which he does, but it was really funny just to see. Basically, every celebrity that has ever performed at the Breslin Center, too, has signed this cement wall in the back by the locker rooms. And I saw Don Henley's signature, and I almost died. (laughs) After we left campus, we went rock climbing at a place called Grand Ledge near East Lansing, and it was our first time doing top rope climbing outside. We got into climbing uh, several years ago, now a few years ago, and then we just haven't really been on, we haven't been going lately, like we took a break, uh, but we were really into it for a while, so we thought kind of like, why not? It was fun, and honestly, I thought it would be scarier than it was. I haven't been climbing regularly, but the basics kind of came back through muscle memory pretty fast. It was no joke, and we were sore afterwards, but it was so much fun, and I'm really glad we did it. And it honestly felt pretty badass to be just out there doing it ourselves. Like, Kenzie went up, tied the anchor, and then she'd have to walk all the way back down, and then we just, we knew how to use the rope, and then it was like you were in the gym, which was crazy. So, yeah. Later that night, we celebrated Kenzie's birthday, even though it's not till this weekend. Um, and we had red velvet cake and a fire in the backyard. We also got to chill with the neighbor's outdoor cat named Bandit. He's the cutest, mostly blind, really old cat that likes to hang out in their yard. My mom loves it because she hopes he'll keep any mice away from their house, which is probably pretty smart. I told him they should get an outdoor cat. They would just get one, but they're allergic. But yeah, she should just get some catnip back there so he'll stick around. And then Saturday was my mom's birthday, and we had a picnic breakfast with cartoons and then spent the day shopping and walking around town. We celebrated her birthday that night and then all watched Ted Lasso together after cake and presents and stuff. 
before we left Sunday evening, we got to walk around Detroit for a while, which was really cool too. And while I'm glad to be home, I was really sad to leave too. So since the pick of the week this week is nothing other than A Girl Called Samson by Amy Harmon, and since I've been around a group of very strong women this last week, I thought we should talk a bit about some feminist novels and books with really strong female leads that I have read personally. Obviously there's a ton, and no, I haven't read them all, definitely haven't even scratched the surface, so if you think I'm leaving out something like really important and really obvious, just tell me on Instagram, because I don't want to speak on books that I haven't read myself. I don't want to be that person that's like, you should go read this, this is what I think about this book, and then like hasn't even read it. No, I'm only going to be honest and tell you what I actually read. To start, let's think back on those dystopian series we all read as preteens, every single one of us, I swear. Hermione, Katniss, Triss, Teresa, and all the rest inspired us from the moment we picked up those books. We are fortunate enough to be part of a generation that grew up with so many strong female leads in our favorite works of fiction. They might not be real, and we might not have realized it at the time, but they instilled the belief in so many young girls that they were worthy of being a main character. These young and bold fictional girls influenced us and helped us find our own voice, and so I can't start talking about feminist novels without starting where we all did, which was with books like The Hunger Games. Let's get down to the basics, guys. Now, if you're looking for a more like classic, older, more challenging piece, I'd recommend something like Pride and Prejudice, Little Women, or Weathering Heights. I have read Weathering Heights three times now, and it becomes my whole personality, my entire personality, for like a week every time. I'll personally never get over the bond between Catherine and Heathcliff, or the sheer power she has as a character. Let's put it this way. Catherine dies like halfway through the book, maybe even less than halfway through the book, but she is the most important character in the novel, and the entire book continues to revolve around her even after she's gone. Also, I want to give a moment for Mary Shelley here. If you haven't read Frankenstein, you need to. That is a psychological work of genius, and despite being absolutely shat on for just being a female writer, Mary Shelley's thriller shocked the world. I don't really think people of that time thought that women could have, like, thoughts like that and think up something that dark, but that genius, that, like, you know, really emotionally moving piece. But yeah, she did. She rocked it. I read it for the first time, like, two years ago, and it really did unsettle me, to say the least. So, yeah. At UF, I was lucky enough to take a few classes with my absolute favorite professor, Reverend Dr. King. No, I'm not kidding. That's her name. Look her up. Dr. Deborah King. Let's see. I had her for African-American women in literature and writing about... It was some... Okay, this title was long. The title of the class. It was like, Black and White Women Writing About Race and the Trouble Between Us. I think that's what it was. And I just wanted to bring up some of the strong female novels I read in her classes. We can't talk about feminist literature without recognizing the writing of black women and the unique voices they bring to the table. Works from authors like Margaret Walker, Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, and many more have done so much for womankind by exploring serious complexities of the human experience as it is slash was for black women and all women. And first of all, if you haven't read any Toni Morrison, I don't think you should be allowed to have an English degree. If you have one and you haven't read Toni Morrison, you should probably just throw that in the trash. No, I'm just kidding. But if my college classes made me fall in love with one author, like if I were to pick one author that I experienced for the first time in college, 
that I love the most, it would be Toni Morrison. Every book she writes is just so deep on totally different levels, and you just need to discover her for yourself if you haven't already. My favorites are Sula, Tar Baby, and The Bluest Eye. Trust me on this, you need to read them. Just do it. I can't get into unpacking them now because it'll take up way too much time. Now, if we're moving on to more current reads, I have a few titles to suggest. The first is this week's pick, A Girl Called Samson, because while Deborah can be both masculine and feminine, she is always powerful, respectable, loyal, and strong. She went where no other revolutionary era woman went before, and that's to war. That is, she's the only one that we know of, for sure. There could have been others. You never know. Um, her success and dedication proved that women could be capable and valuable soldiers, and she continued a campaign for gender equality until her death, which is nothing short of valiant, so definitely recommend that. Another more young adult type book would be A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which was my first episode this season. If you want to read about a super smart young woman solving crime and apologizing for nothing, you need to read this book. There is some romance, but it's not overpowering, which I appreciate, and it doesn't take away from Pippa's strength and wit as a character. I also think Where the Crawdads Sing would be another suggestion in this category, like something that needs to be mentioned. Kaya supports herself from about the age of like five and lives off the land in a way that few other people could. Uh, she pushes herself academically with absolutely no authority figure to hold her accountable for it, and she's just truly a remarkable character. Now, since A Girl Called Samson is so popular right now, I've seen so many people post about this book, so I think you all already kind of know the gist and are kind of curious. I think everyone's googled what this book is about at least once. Um, I thought I would give my regular summary and then give my answers to some frequently asked questions about the book. So, let's get into it. Deborah Samson's father abandoned her mother and siblings when she was little more than a toddler. With no other way to support the family, her mother scatters her children and binds them as indentured servants. Deborah ends up working for a family with ten sons, and she becomes one of the brothers. When the war begins, she has to watch each of them go off to serve their country and read the news to their parents when they fall. But she's a patriot too. She can do all the drills better than the boys. She's faster, smarter, and all-around tougher. Why can't she go too? When she turns 18 and her servitude expires, she's faced with a choice. Stay and work for the Thomas family indefinitely, or try something no one else has ever tried before. She dresses the part, leaves everything behind, and doesn't look back. The rest is literally history, but Amy Harmon brings her own flourish of fiction to Deborah's story. How will she protect herself out there? Could a romance ruin everything she's worked for? And most importantly, will anyone find out who she really is? Order your copy to find out. Okay, so now I'm going to answer a few questions off the top of my head with no written answers. Just kind of going for it here, so bear with me. First, uh, most like googled question I came across about this book was is a girl called Samson a true story yes it is Deborah Samson was a real person as far as the research I've done and she did dress as a man and serve in the Revolutionary War I believe she actually did serve under General Patterson and was his aide-de-camp actually too but it's kind of hard to get into the records of these things I know there was a fire 
General Patterson, like, kept a bunch of diaries, wrote down basically everything he ever did, and all of those records were lost in a fire. So that's really unfortunate. But the records do indicate that she was his aide-de-camp. Did he know about her, actually, like he does in the book? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he knew the entire time. There's no telling. But it is a true story. I remember learning about her in, like, sixth grade through this little, like, scholastic article while we were in school. Um, And I remember I, like, had totally forgotten about her until this book became popular and I kind of connected the dots. But I remember vividly in that little scholastic article telling us about how she hurt her leg. And that was, um, she was shot in the leg. She had to take the bullet out herself because it was in her, like, upper thigh. And obviously she couldn't undress that area without being discovered. So that wasn't how she got caught, but it did pose, like, a really big threat to her. And then the, from my understanding, the whole part about her falling ill with yellow fever was, in fact, how she got caught through a doctor discovering her. So, yes, it is a true story, but this book specifically is historical fiction. Parts are true, parts are not. You're going to have to, like, do the research and figure out for yourself if you have a specific question about, if is this true? You're going to have to Google it. And I can tell you, if you're going to ask, were General Patterson and Deborah Sampson actually together? No, they were not. But I think it's a very creative leap to take. I enjoyed it. But no, they were not together in real life. She ended up marrying someone else. Um, next. Is a girl called Sampson an LGBTQ plus book? Is it about that? No. I would say no. She may be dressing as a man, playing the part, but, and I, and I wondered that at first myself too, and I thought, you know, maybe this is the direction the book is going, but after finishing it, I can tell you that it's not. Multiple times throughout the book too, she'll say, you know, I miss this about dressing as a woman, as like posing as like a woman, like just being myself, like I miss this, I miss this. She's also very straight, in the book at least, the way the book is written. Um, she obviously falls in love with General Patterson and they have a very real relationship. She also did marry a man in real life and have children. That doesn't mean that she today might have presented as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but as far as this specific story, Amy Harmon's version, no, I don't think it is. I don't see her being a trans man. I see her literally just doing this because she couldn't if she dressed as a woman. It's not that she genuinely wanted to be a man. It's that if she were to like be herself, then she would not have the same opportunities. Um, but I did think that before reading the book. I assumed that that was where this book was going to go, and it wasn't. I thought, yeah. But no, I would say no. Um, I think that would be another very interesting angle to take if someone were in the future going to write another historical fictional book about her and her life. But I don't know. No, this one is not. Next question. Is it wrong to fictionalize a real person's life? I think it definitely can be. 
with historical fiction like this, I think of things like The Other Boleyn Girl, where um, it's basically like from the point of view of Anne Boleyn, or no, it's not from the point of view of Anne Boleyn, it's from the point of view of Mary, but it's about Anne Boleyn and their their story. Um, I think the answer to this question is how much time has passed since they were alive. To be honest, that's what I think. Um, I think it would be wrong if for me to, let's say, I wanted to write historical fiction about Barack Obama. Obviously, he's still alive. That'd be weird. Um, yeah, so I think they need to be, like, gone for an appropriate amount of time before you can take these fictional liberties. And in my opinion, we're well past that point with Deborah Sampson. She was a real person, and you know, maybe she would be upset about some of the things that were written in this book, but a few hundred years later, I don't see any harm in taking certain truths and bending others and, you know, just creating a story. I think she would have appreciated and upheld the overall theme of Harmon's book. Um, It's about gender equality, and it's about believing in yourself and what you can do, and I think she, I think she would have definitely stood for that. So I think it can be wrong to fictionalize a real person's life if they're still around and if it hasn't been an appropriate amount of time since they've passed. But for someone that's like a historical figure like this, I think it's okay. All right, next, is the romance worth it? Yes, it is. I think so. I really appreciated their relationship like from a from a romance book point of view I don't like when it's like overpowering it's the only thing that's going on I like when there's a really good really interesting romance but also like this whole other thing that's going on like something that makes the romance more interesting and obviously this gave me that the romance would have been a hell of a lot less interesting (laughs) if there wasn't this am I going to be discovered like no one can know about this this is like forbidden type thing Um, but yeah, I really think the romance is worth it. It's a very slow burn. Uh, it takes a long time, but I think it's worth it, in my opinion. Okay, and the next question, is it boring because of the time period? I thought I would answer this because a lot of people are going to realize, they're going to see this book on social media because everyone's freaking out about it right now, and they're going to realize, oh, it takes place in, like, revolution era New England And they're going to be like, I don't want to read about that. I don't want to read, like, that type of slang or that type of language. It's not that bad, I promise. Anyone would be able to read this. There are, like, a couple language weird things that I saw that it's, like, fit for the time. But it really did not hinder my understanding of the book at all. I don't think it would hinder anyone's, really. Um, I thought it was great. It's not a super modern voice where, like, it just wouldn't make sense for the time like I didn't get that but I also didn't get that it was like exactly how someone would have talked then back then (laughs) I think she definitely changed things up as they from how they actually would have been a little bit to help our understanding of it so there wasn't like a bunch of words I had to look up or like what is this old time language no I didn't get that vibe and it's not boring there were very few parts of the novel where I thought dragged I thought it was very um, high action, high intensity. There's always something going on. I wasn't bored. This was one of the ones that kept me up. Like, I would read past when I want to usually go to bed. I would read well past that. 
So that was my last question. But to give my overall rating for this book, I'm going to give it a 9. Um, yeah, this one in Beartown, really good reads the past two weeks. I've been very impressed with some of the some of the popular reads, and I hadn't been before that. Like, It Ends With Us did not get me. Spare did not get me either. But these two, y'all are on to something. Yeah. So, 9 out of 10 for me, Girl Called Samson by Amy Harmon loved it would definitely recommend it you should definitely order yourself a copy it looks thick like it looks thick when you order it when you get it and get your hands on it but i read it in a week less than a week and it will like it will consume you a little bit it will definitely will but that's going to be all for today's short episode thank you so much for tuning in and letting me talk if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider following the show and leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really mean a lot to me, make me happy. As always, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at a sweet sunrise underscore pod and myself on TikTok at Kelly X Dean for more. Thanks again for listening and have a great week, everyone.